Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Smirti Sardashan. And I met Smirti on LinkedIn, and she um, started talking to me about educational data mining. I was completely interested because I had not encountered that topic or what it is or how it's useful or what those use cases are. And so I am just so pleased to have Smirti on today to share with us about data mining and education um, and what that means and um, learning more from her. So Smarty, will you please do a better job of introducing yourself and sharing some of your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, by the way, thanks for uh, getting me online and you know giving me this platform to share what exactly is educational data mining. So brief introduction about myself. Um, I work for LinkedIn uh, as an e-learning training specialist. And uh, I specialize only on the e-learning aspect uh, of uh, their learning and development sorts. So uh, yeah, that's about the quick introduction. But then I am uh, a data enthusiast, so I, I love data. And I like what stories data tells. And also, I'm really excited to uh, uncover certain insights what uh, data tells, especially when it comes to education and learners and uh, those aspects. But uh, to give a quick introduction about uh, educational data mining, let me break this down into a bit more uh, simplistic approach, uh, wherein I'll, uh, I'll first talk about what exactly is, uh, what, what is learner data, then bring in uh, the concept of mining and how exactly is uh, L&D and uh, educational data mining, also called EDM, uh, is going to marry each other in the end. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, so yeah, I think um, uh, one thing about learner data is that um, like if you're in an online class or, or if you're like say or in a virtual classroom setting and you're like face to face, so what would you exactly do? You as an instructor would basically see or read your uh, learner's expressions, right? And then you would go like if someone's yawning or if someone's like disinterested and you know, <laughs> Uh, is there in another world, what would you do? You would like randomly give them a pop quiz or, you know, if you have a marker or a chalk in your hand, you would just throw it and then say, you know what, get up. This is not the thing to do. You would, be, you would do something that would grab uh, their attention onto the training. But this is possible only on your face-to-face uh, -face, uh, uh, learning or, you know, in an instructor-led training. But what would you do like when you're on an e-learning setup? Like you, the learner would just communicate with the computer and, uh, they wouldn't have much instructor or any kind of human intervention that would come in um, for them to understand how exactly the training is going. So that is where uh, the entire concept of learner data comes in. Wherein this is just like uh, the footprint which a learner leaves on your LMS or on any kind of uh, digital platform that you're on. So uh, those footprints are also known as the learner's digital body language, like how you have body language uh, in classrooms, like I, like I just said, yawning or, you know, dreaming. And those are all body languages that the learner communicates to the instructor. But similarly, uh, we do have the same body language, but it's on a digital platform, which is known as the digital body language. 
So I think you would have seen the concept of digital body language even on your day-to-day basis. Like for example, take Amazon. Uh, in Amazon, you uh, you would have like if you have had some book that you are interested in, or if you have some kind of an item that you have added to the cart. The next time when you get onto Amazon, you would have those recommendations, similar items in your uh, recommendations. Similarly on Netflix also, like I like watching horror movies. So <laughs> if I go and click on horror movie and then, you know, the next time when I come up on Netflix, I would get the series of horror movies, which Netflix would suggest. So similar to that is what we are doing with learner data. And what we do with that uh, data is that we kind of mine them. Mine as in like, you can just think of it like how you go and query in a mine, like uh, you know, coal mining and then query mining and stuff like that. So similar to that, what we are doing here is that we are going to mine the data just to find the insights of what the learners are thinking. So that is where the learner data mining comes into picture. And when we use this on an educational setup, uh, we call it as educational data mining or so to call as EDM. Oh my gosh, this is so interesting. I already got questions going around. I love all the analogies that you're giving, Smriti. And so um, the first question I had was, okay, so we are reading their digital body language, which I just love that analogy because you're so right. I mean, I, my first, you know, place as a trainer was as a face, you know, to face type of trainer. And yeah, I mean, as soon as somebody yawns or shows that <laughs> body language, like you start doing silly things, your voice may get louder. It might get quieter to see if they're going to pay attention. Something surprising. Right. So you build a program. Are you thinking that you've got to put something extra, like some kind of X API or some kind of other code on that SCORM package or whatever it is in order to read the body language, right? Because it seems like as most, you know, records are now like the SCORM packages. It's just about quizzes. And so um, I imagine you'd have to, are you looking for certain body language data before you build your course to implement that into the kind of data that you collect in the course before it ever gets loaded and it ever gets tracked? Uh, yes, XAPI is one of them. Like that's the most important thing in order to track uh, the uh, digital body language. But also, we do use another uh, program, an algorithm, which is which tends uh, towards uh, the learning analytics part. And also, it's basically a, a combination of both learning analytics and also AI. So it's AI driven as well as um, uh, so. If I have to give this in a much more better format, so imagine you have learning analytics as one circle, and in that you have uh, uh, learner data and the EDM coming in learning analytics. But what happens with analytics that it also kind of overlaps with uh, machine learning or the AI part of it. And when both of them overlap, there's that one small bit in the overlap, which comes as EDM. So EDM not only comes as the statistical data, it also shows you like graphs and charts and stuff like that, uh, just to understand, or, you know, if you are an L&D consultant and you're building a course and you're giving consultation, performance consulting. So what happens is that when you see those graphs and when you analyze that data, you would be in a better position uh, to give uh, to give your stakeholders what they want, rather than uh, you know you kind of designing something much more intuitively. 
um so there was one use case but not in uh, linkedin where i was working in previous company wherein uh, we had a set of uh, field engineers and uh, all of them uh, the main job day to day job was troubleshooting and what they would do on troubleshooting was that they would get on calls uh, they would kind of you know uh, like for example if you are a troubleshooting engineer uh they would uh, the customer would give you a call and then you know say suppose laptop is not working how do you uh, how do you fix my laptop i need to fix my laptop so that was the kind of uh, you know troubleshooting tickets that they would get and this would be in the form of tickets basically and what we did was like again intuitively uh, we as learning consultants and instructional designers and content developers got together and we said that great this is a great opportunity let's make this uh, content gamified and we gave them a gamified content okay and what the feedback that we got from the stakeholders and the manager was that see this is not the correct <laughs> uh, format which we were expecting <laughs> because as of now we are not trying to solve this problem of getting a game on but uh, we are trying to solve something else wherein we want to kind of get the uh, learners to understand uh, what their day to day job is and also clear off the tickets on a day to day basis so there how we figured this problem was that we had something known as the net promoter score and that score was linked on to our edm uh, site and the edm uh, basically uh, the edm platform or the algorithm that was there so we saw that there was one uh, one place where the wherever whenever the um, uh, field engineer would take the call he would go and start playing the quest he or she would start playing the quest of that game and they would not even complete the first level or first round of it because they were so busy troubleshooting on the call so what we did was we gathered that data we gathered that insight and we went back and we told our stakeholders that uh, okay see uh, this is totally not working out all they need is just a job aid and maybe you can give them like a series of micro learnings for 3 minutes on what exactly uh, are they doing and uh, what uh, jobs are they doing and how they can go about it the gamified part of it you can keep it for the new hires so when they just come uh, come uh, come out of their you know freshly graduated college and then they're getting into the process training and the job training part of it so that is where you can uh, give this course uh, rather than giving them the job aid so i mean the result of it was that uh, the number of tickets that got solved uh, uh, for that portion or that quarter increased so that kind of tend, uh, tended to even you know increase in the revenue aspect of it because the number of uh, tickets that were getting solved were much higher when compared to what they were doing um, on a day to day basis so even just capturing that net promoter score was enough data to have you guys change course and realize what that body language was of the learners and so where i mean how did you cap- capture a net promoter score so early in the course i mean how many did you build in i'm just curious about like where you know where do you structure things like this mm. it data that means something but that's actually a very good question uh, like it gets into the details of uh, how exactly uh, you know a data behaves so there's no the thing with edm is that there is no structure for uh, for them so <laughs> there is no structure as uh, as is so what we're going to do is that how we captured the data um, as soon as possible was the kind of drop off rates that we were getting so if say for example uh, the learner takes up the first mission of the course and then uh, he or she kind of drops off at the second 
second question or the third question itself then that was that was like a repeating pattern not just for one uh, person it was a repeating pattern for uh, other people as well so like for example if i'm saying that you know this course is taken by 10 people out of 10 people six people were dropping off uh, at that question itself because they were getting uh, 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 tickets in such a way that the kind of uh, troubleshooting that they were doing was on a very uh, monotonous basis or they had just one issue that they had to deal with so that is where we kind of figured out that uh, you know this uh, this is where they are dropping off and also one thing that we figured was the devices part of it so there were like people who would take um, uh, you know while they were traveling on a metro and uh, you know they would take our courses so they would play the game over there and then they would finish the entire game and then they would come back and try to implement the same thing uh, in their day to day job or you know they would do something like that wherein they would play the game during their coffee break and come back but the problem was that the retention rate was not as great as what used to happen so when we saw that they were going back like twice thrice and multiple times onto the same uh, uh you know um same course then we analyzed and we just went on to them and asked like why are you actually going so many times to the course like is there a problem with the course <laughs> or mm -hmm. is it that that you're not able to understand uh, what is happening in the course so that's when they kind of got back to us saying that uh, you know this is not uh, okay with us because we have to play that entire game while we are talking to a customer so do we concentrate on the game winning part of it or do we concentrate on the customer's call so that is how we uh, kind of figured out that they would need a job aid rather than having a game content in there that's a great example okay so um so now they you are putting places where you are looking at the data and i've done this before like when i did my dissertation i had to capture data and i didn't even have any api cuz you can capture things like drop off rates um if they complete things time inside the course and how many times they repeat that the course without any extra things. And so for most of the courses that you're looking for this um data mining, it, do they all need to have some kind of other um features on there to track data? Do you recommend anything else that you're tracking like I don't know, whether people click on an interaction or something? What are what are some of the things that just from your experience that you would recommend? Yeah, I think uh the uh, only thing to capture that data that is required is as of now is excel uh, excel is a very good way of capturing data and also google forms so we use google forms as well you don't have to have like all these x api and all of that so even if you have a simple google form that would also kind of in the responses section you would get something uh, related to the data there so again uh, it again depends on how you want to do it so if you have a class of like say 30 or you know manageable 15 uh, class members that are in there then i think uh, google forms would be a best way to do it but if you have like a course that is there online like uh, the one that we were doing was catering to 2500 employees of that uh, uh, batch and also in the uh, education sector we were dealing with 500 students uh, in there uh, so that is where the x api comes into picture because x api gives you a heat map uh, of what exactly is going on so even if you do not have an x api if you have a normal lrs 
and uh, if the lrs can visualize the data for you i think you're good to go with it uh, apart from that if you have your course id uh, also like you know if you're searching anything in terms of the courses part of it i mean that is also good enough but i would definitely recommend having uh, you know uh, an excel or a google form if you need to collect uh, data okay so i'm just so we want to be clear an lrs is a learning record store which is a little bit different from an lms not little i mean usually these days uh, lms comes with lrs uh, if you get into any basic uh, lms as well both of them would come in uh, hand in hand but in case you do not have an lms uh, then i think lrs is another next best option uh, to go for so you're saying that it just gives a heat map when you put that x api on it and there's no other specific things that you put on there unless you specifically design that I want to capture how many points they earn in this game in the right. variables or whatever. Okay. Right. So also it's also about capturing the real time data. Now, uh, for example, if there are like um, say uh, about ten thousand people who have logged into your LMS and are taking the same course, so the real time data over there would show a leaderboard uh, as such. But then we would be seeing it in terms of scatter plots. So what happens in scatter plots is that so each point on the graph would represent a learner. So if I am say a student twenty two and you are student twenty three, so what difference would that make? So in student twenty two, the data that you would be capturing is that like student twenty two on question five is spending five minutes, but student twenty three on question five is spending. um 15 minutes okay so then there is that difference like why is it that uh, student 23 is uh, you know spending so much time and then you are spending just less time and also in terms of like say if you're giving a video there's another use case actually so uh, there was an ai course that we were kind of developing and that ai course had like what 10 minutes at a stretch six uh six videos so basically the learner would sit on the lms for 60 minutes that's like a 1 hr see 1 hr videos at a stretch each video of 10 or uh, 10 minutes span uh, what happened was that uh after every 20 minutes uh the learner would drop off so this would not just this would not like you know just be you know pause and then go back and then uh, come in to the same lms part of it it would just be like 10 minutes and then drop off coming back after 2 to 3 days and then again you know just spend that again 10 minutes drop off and uh, come in after 2 to 3 days so when we figured this kind of pattern that was happening online what we uh, what we found was that the learner is not able to grasp the video after the uh, 20th minute because the video had something to do with coding and for coding uh, we would require a sandbox environment and we would require you know them to type and do a project sort of a thing so what we did was that we shortened the video length to like 7 minutes which was just the introduction part and then uh, we gave them a sandbox environment and a diy project which goes on for the next 2 weeks so that uh, at the end of the course they would be submitting a diy project so though we took a blended approach rather than having just a self directed approach so again this is all uh, calculated on the basis of data so we just didn't go by our intuition saying that uh, you know this is not the right thing to do now i'm going to change it to just interactive learning and <laughs> learners would be happy with it so we kind of designed a learner centric uh, approach uh, by using the data and not by the intuition or our experience uh, part of it 
does that does this thinking about learning data and kind of making changes um, on the fly, if you will, or in the moment, does it kind of make you think a little bit differently about when it is that you roll a course out to a learner? Because maybe you maybe you do a draft if you know that you're just going to go and probably make some changes to that. Maybe you don't build a full game before you release it to them and get some data. Has that kind of changed the way that you approach it just because of the data that you can get in real time? Yes, actually, yes. That Due to that, what we are doing is that we are creating a lot of pilots uh, rather than just creating one full-fledged course. We create a lot of pilots before we even get on to uh, creating the course. So, I mean, there was this uh, structure which or a process that they would follow when first would be an introduction, then there would be learning objective, and then, uh, you know, you would get a video and then a question. So there was this kind of structure that used to go on in uh, uh, whatever LND field that I was there in. Uh, and then what happened was that when we kind of put this forth and when we said that, you know, you know, you don't have to have the structure because most of them do not even spend like one second on certain pages. So you can definitely eliminate uh, those pages and concentrate more on what you what you have to give. Um, so that kind of led us to having a lot of pilots uh, before even, um, you know, getting into the actual uh, course development. So, uh, yeah, I mean, in a, in a way, it was time consuming in the beginning, but once the process got ingrained in everyone, like just to get that data and then have that data feedback sort of a thing, once that was ingrained, I think they got the feel of what they want and how they have to do it. Okay, so I'm ready to keep going, Smriti. So tell me the next part. I mean, you told me they were going to get married at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Yeah. So the marrying bit is where um, uh, the, uh, you know, use case of another thing comes in. So um, if you've seen in most of our uh, courses, like definitely the piloting part is one, but how exactly are they going to get married is that uh, one is uh, one is definitely how you're going to align your learning objectives with your, uh, your you know, business outcomes. So I think that has kind of helped us a lot. Uh, it's not just by me telling it or someone else in the LND field telling it, it is data who's telling it. And, uh, and what happens when data tells and when you mine those insights is that, so there was one case uh, wherein uh, there was a course that was rolled out. And uh, what had happened was that the, since we were a global team at that time, it was just a dawn of COVID and then we just shifted out and everyone were working from home. And what happened was that we rolled out a course, I think, and it was purely in English. And uh, there were like countries who were there, like Latin America, and there was Africa, Philippines, and China, China, China as well. Yeah. So what happened was that we rolled out English. Uh, it was a global course. So we rolled out saying that, you know, English is global. And then we went out into, uh, you know, rolling it out like that. So there, what happened was that the heat map that I was just talking about was where we got uh, from our localizations. So there was a lot of drop and no one actually took the course at all uh, uh, in the end from all those places. And the investment was such that we made, made something in dollars, like thousands of dollars. And the investment to build that course was so much that, you know, everyone had to take that course in order to clear that and get into the process training so we had a certificate set up and stuff like that so since it was english no one in that areas or those areas took up those courses so that's where in the first quarter we observed that there was a drastic drop 
in those areas and then only just like you know parts of us parts of india i think parts of russia as well took up those courses but then everywhere else like china philippines the eastern part of it didn't take and even the latin america part of it didn't uh, take the courses just because of the fact that they were not comfortable with the kind of english that we were talking and also the kind of voice over that was provided in the course so this is uh, this this was something that was figured out from the heat map and by just mining those uh, data points on that heat map heat map so we saw that since the increase was there in us and all of that since it was global course at least we are supposed to see some sort of green spots in each of the areas which we were not able to see so that's where we kind of uh, mostly invested in the localization bit and also on customizing it to the local uh, you know areas so that we we kind of communicate what we want to tell them and also it's not only that it kind of forms this uh, knowledge society as such so learning doesn't have a language and learning happens almost continuously and that was also something that we were able to prove uh, through the uh, edm part of it and also what we analyzed in the end was that i mean people do contradict this and we had a lot of contradictions that came in when we said that you know uh, this is how it is happening uh, after the use case of uh, the heat map that i was just talking about we also figured out that higher the effort you put in the amount of learning is less so uh, the more effort you put the learning was less because uh, because the the course what we just sent out like for imagine i think they had like eight quizzes uh, in that course and uh, quiz 1 to 7 or quiz 1 to 5 was also okay they kind of had that average score everyone had the average score and then after 5 to 7 this course kind of dropped down <laughs> they're like oh yeah. <laughs> and then when we went back and we checked like why exactly is this dropping off we saw that we had given them a diy project at each of those quizzes so they had basically a, a a coding section of it in the end so even though we had localized it everything was as per what they needed so even though that was done uh, there was a coding section of it which required the learner to spend at least 15 to 20 minutes in a day and that means effort uh, from the learners end just to be you know uh, in in uh, touch with whatever they had to do so that is where we figured out that you know okay this effort is not working and also we could apply this to our ilt trainings wherein they had like straight 8 hours of ilt on zoom sessions like virtual ilts on zoom sessions so even though they were working hard to do that and then you know learning the textbooks and all of that at the end of the day the certification was not showing it and also their uh you know the passing rate was something that passing score was something that that was not been shown over there so this is something that we were able to determine and when we went back to the management uh, saying that see this is uh, this is the issue <laughs> i think we may have to reduce a bit <laughs> on the uh, you know uh, effort part of it and don't spend a lot of money we did get a pushback saying that you know no no i think we have to keep that eight hours straight otherwise how do we know if someone's actually learning or not uh, that's where the entire thing of edm came in and then we had to prove it to them through data saying that this is how it goes and then this is what we propose as an easier solution to work about i love that you can um have a conversation with a business that disagrees with you about how training should be delivered and it's not an argument it's just yeah. well this is what the data says it's not me it's not my um opinion or ego or any of that kind of stuff it's just like well the data tells us and that's a lot 
uh, that's an easier conversation to have with the stakeholders and the subject matter experts, whoever is in charge of that project by just showing data. So, all right. So tell me more. So you, um, so it's, you want to think about the business objectives. You are then of course, aligning your learning objectives with these business objectives. And then also I imagine you're going to attach places that you grab data to see if they are meeting these learning objectives that are aligned with the business objectives. And then you're throwing it out in pilots to these learners and seeing like, basically like what sticks, where those issues yeah. are. Do you think that there's some places where maybe a better needs analysis could have, um, you know, prevented or predicted uh, some of the things that you find with the data? That's actually a really good thing. But the thing with needs analysis is that um, even though we conduct the needs analysis, especially in a corporate environment, we do not have the direct interaction with the customer. So we would be catering to teams. So if the team lead says that, you know, you have to get it done in this way, then we get it done in that way. So there's, there's no, <laughs> there is no other thing that we are supposed to do, or we cannot say that, you know, this is not the right way to do it. Or, you know, even if you try consulting them saying that, you know, you know, with my experience, this would be a bit, bit more interactive approach. Like, no, I don't think so, because this is, I know my team <laughs> i know how they are so they want it this way so i think in that way that navigation part of it becomes a little bit more easier uh, rather than sitting on the needs analysis call and then giving them consultations on how we are going to do it um, and also in terms of the needs analysis even if you're talking to the learners so as of now uh, with the covid part of it since we have just gone online so even the um, uh, you know uh, activity happens through the computer part of it so even if the learner comes and tells you that, you know, uh, this is something that I don't want, you just cannot cater to one learner. You have to cater to like 10 other learners who are also taking that course and who says that, you know, this is a problem with it and this is a problem that needs to be fixed. So I think that kind of, uh, you know, uh, analysis part of it, uh, you know, kind of helped us uh, just not in terms of, uh, you know, navigating through the uh, learner needs or you know how the corporate learners think also to understand what uh, the online uh, learner behaviors are so we know that there are like different types of learners i think there are eight if i'm not wrong eight different types of learners but if you just come to the online scenario those eight have been you know come down to like five uh, five broad categories of uh, online learners and uh, one of the major things with online learning is that there are people who uh, who are uh, uh, learners who are like you know okay this course is not for me so they take up the first course and then they go through like two modules and they're like ah this is so boring let me move on to the next one and then they just keep on hopping on from one course to another course which kind of becomes really difficult to track uh, at the end of the day so there would be certain percentage of that and there would also be certain percentage of uh, learners who would really sit through the course and get through the entire quiz part of it so what we are doing here is that we are kind of giving them a universal solution as to what can be avoided uh, rather than just deciding it during the needs analysis part and then you know going about the entire development so there is a cycle that it follows and th that cycle can be reversed as well so basically when you say uh, that you know you're going to design so after designing you're going to monitor 
from monitor your reporting and in the reporting section you gain insights and then you go back to design again so from design you again get back to the reporting part and we say that you know this this is somewhere not working and we change our strategy or you know we put in something extra or you know delete something so that you know there is a difference between nice to know and need to know sort of a thing so i think all of these are certain things that could not be captured during the needs analysis part and definitely the data would provide better insight into what uh, exactly the uh, you know course would look like at the end of the day i think it's so fair smriti to talk about there are many times in corporate workplace learning training whatever we're going to call it where you really your hands are tied i mean you really are going yeah. to be the order taker you are going to do it <laughs> their way and they're and you can't win with arguments right we i mean we just know that about human nature because once you start arguing with somebody well now their egos on the line they have to defend their position and you're never going to win that way and so you know just having a vehicle to avoid argument and still get that iterative process in there and then have real facts where you are now showing the way instead of telling the way i think that I mean, besides all the wonderful things that, you know, reading this learner body language um, and data would give us, that that alone is um, a pretty neat feature. So tell me more about, um, so you, I didn't even realize, but when you start talking about Smurty, about how there are different types of online learners, right? Like the kinds that like, just like skip around. And I was even trying to think about like the kind that I am. I'm definitely a like skip around type of learner, but <laughs> I, I'm curious. So you said there are five, can you think of um, a couple more just out of my own curiosity, what those are about the, the typical patterns? I don't know if I can show the heat map in here. So I, if possible, I can share that with you on the heat map or the learner model for it. What we figured out was that the model. So if you consider green, um, red and green, uh, so to say that, so uh, there are a set of learners uh, who are also visually impaired in there, which is something that we would not uh, be able to figure out from just the normal uh, corporate scenario. So the way it would interact was that we did have a place where there was like this eyeball tracking part. So if you're an, uh, you know, uh, exploratory learner, the eyeballs would, uh, the red portions, that's the exploratory learner would go from one uh, uh, image onto another. So you would immediately see that time frame uh, jump from one um, you know image to another image or you know from one place to another place you would see that fast interaction uh, with the entire uh, place of it uh, on the entire screen but if you are uh, like say um, a normal person or you know you you like to go something in depth or you know understand how exactly the course is there would be one pattern that is formed in one single uh, line over there so it's just that from top to bottom there would just be one portion of the screen that would be covered and then uh, later on when you move on to the next portion of the screen only that portion of the screen is something uh, that would be covered. So again, the time gap between both of them would be different and also would be different for different uh, people who are coming in over there. But then that was such an interesting
interesting pattern to find out like you know there's one person who's just seen this pattern over here and there are like people who go through everywhere on the screen and then you know uh, you know how exactly it's working and what is doing as well so also this kind of gave us to understand one more thing known as sentiment uh, analysis so we would kind of grab the sentiments in there so if uh, uh, if i say that i put a uh, put a course uh, like compliance course and a normal um, like say java course so the compliance course would basically have like say um, you know a family or you know some some sort of a thing like that wherein there's danger that shown or an infosec course that would show like security and uh, you know stuff like that so what would happen is that immediately that was the thing that would grab the attention so it would not be uh, this java course that would grab so it would be that security and the infosec that would grab the attention because we would literally see their pattern going like this so the eyeball tracking machine showed us this image rather than showing this side or a this side image so i think that way that was one way uh, of uh, you know checking what pattern and what image uh, that can be used and what can be changed uh, also uh, on the course do you guys ever do um you know like if we're talking about treating our learners like customers do you guys ever um look at ab testing like do a course one way um and do like maybe just change one small thing and a second version of that pilot just to see what the different data is do you guys do anything like that or is that just too time consuming or uh, so if it asks if the course is not in a rush uh, again uh, if you're doing uh, you know once the course is done so we do this in a post uh, course manner so we do not do it on the on live course but we do it on the post course so wherein we take that course and we do the av testing for it so like if we use this strategy how it would work and if we use this strategy how it would work uh, sort of a thing but uh, our strategy would uh, come like the edm part of it would come mostly into picture on real time itself so we would just give them the real time data and not the av testing part because it comes under you know uh, a bit more time consuming because as of now they just needed the uh, real time uh, data rather than you know seeing what exactly how they're learning but research wise yes we would do it uh, post uh, once the course was live okay and so um now we're talking about so now you have you've put your course up there and you are um you know it's rolled out to the students and you're starting to look for you know heat maps you've said so far um the eyeball trackers what are some of those other things that you look for? Um, like what's like your checklist of things that you're looking for when you're doing your data mining? Uh, I think one is the browser usage. Um, so which browser are they using in? Uh, and also the second thing which we would be using is uh, what kind of courses are they seeing? So if there are like a bunch of courses up there, so what kind of uh, uh, courses are they seeing? Definitely the dropout rates. Uh, quiz uh, quiz data is something that we would definitely be uh, looking into. And also in terms of the eyeball uh, tracking part of it and the sentiment analysis part of it, we have that like, comment, and also the share part of it. So how many likes goes in and uh, how many dislikes come in? And also we do have like micro interactions which come on the course, like there's a star that comes up. So once you're done with the course, there's a star that comes up through the LMS itself. So that micro interactions, like how many stars were collected, like how how many uh, you know badges were collected in there so it, it's not called badges as such so usually it's a star uh, which we do and how many points uh, were collected uh, as well that is something that we track but also for the quiz part of it we do have the step by step tracking as to how they go on the uh, on the screen so if they're moving around from quiz uh, question 1 to question 3 directly 
uh, what is wrong with question two? And if all the students are doing that, like what is wrong with question two? Then there's something wrong with the interaction. And uh, if you say that, you know, that, you know, skipping all the questions and directly going on to the, uh, you know, final result slide of it, like was the question so easy or was it like, do we have to make it more tough? And also in terms of like the quizzes and the analysis part of it. So at the end of the day, when we uh, collect those reports, that is where we do the analysis and we show it to our stakeholders uh, saying that this is what we have analyzed and this is how it is. But most of our real-time tracking happens with our gamified content uh, and how they uh, react to. And also we do uh, have those competency matching that happens uh, in there. So if uh, there are like certain competencies, uh, you know, due to some skill gap analysis that we create, and then, you know, if those gap analysis show you that, you know, certain competencies are, uh, you know, not matching. So then we have a rubric that is plugged into the system. And that rubric is something that would calculate the competencies and give you on what exactly uh, are the employees lacking, uh, or, you know, what exactly can be done to match those skill gaps. Interesting. Okay. So most of our audience, they are new instructional designers, or maybe they are transitioning into our field. And so I love what you've been talking about, Smurti. I think that it's uh, essential to especially, you know, innovation and where we're going and how we can grow um, in our industry to track and read our data better. Um, and even to just think about the data that you're going to get at the end from the beginning so what are some of those things that you would tell new instructional designers or people just getting into our field about how they can start thinking about data and what kind of data they really want to focus on as a new instructional designer? Mm, I think uh, as a new instructional designer, you may want to see the drop off. Uh, I think that's a very good uh, way to start off. And also, um, the data that they can collect are also in terms of the um, visual design of what they're doing, because uh, since you're doing a lot of e-learning, um, so I think the visual design aspect of it also comes into picture. So where the next button is placed, uh, where the uh, you know transcript button is placed, where the settings button is placed. So I think those kind of uh, uh, data, the UI UX data, so that is something also that they can collect because there are times uh, wherein uh, you know learners you know, you can't give them what whatever they need, but you would definitely could understand a problem as to why exactly are they not taking the course or why exactly are they not uh, proceeding further. So I think that is one uh, another thing that we can figure out uh, as a new person. But then the most uh, important thing I think uh, would be uh, to figure out uh, if localization is needed or not, or if customization is needed or not. Because uh, if we just kind of go ahead and create a global English course, and then, you know, even though if it is good or bad or whatever it is, if it is not suiting the audiences to certain areas with us going online as of now, then I think there were, you would see a lot of dropouts uh, rather than, uh, you know, seeing people who would be enabling you know, stuff for your course. So I think those are certain things that would be pretty much important. How much of a pilot would you put up there to just get data and feedback before you build the full thing? Like when you guys do pilots, how how much of a draft are they? How rough are they before you put them up there and, and start tracking data? Okay, so what we do is that we kind of divide our uh, learners. So if there's a project that's coming in, so we definitely do divide our learners into batches and uh, each batch is going to have a different pilot. So with each prototype that we send out for each batch. So if we say that we have like three batches, 
so each batch would have uh, a different uh, thing or there would be some feature that would have uh, would be put in or some feature that would be eliminated seeing on the batch uh, one zero zero one two three like that so the final product uh like you know which caters to everything would i think would be at the batch zero part of it but apart from uh, after batch zero is something that uh, we do not uh you know uh get into the piloting part but we get into straight on to the uh, live courses so this is uh i think the pilot that we follow but then uh, by the time we get on to batch zero the kind of target audiences we are catering is also pretty different so in batch zero we would be catering to an experienced person uh, like completely experienced or like you know say 15 years into the process or 15 years into the job and that is where we put in our batch zero and then like batch one has a little lower level like who has like you know four or five years of experience and then a batch two would be like just with two years experience and batch three would be like completely new person uh, who comes onto the field so that's how we kind of do our uh, testing as well to collect the data oh interesting then you kind of based on that data you can create a course that kind of serves all the different roles or do you still keep them separate? Oh, no, we uh, uh, build a course which uh, uh, caters to all of them. So that's fascinating. Okay. All right. So what is your I just I just love so much of what you shared. I think that you've probably, um, you know, sparked so much curiosity um, than those that have come to listen to you today, Smurty. So what was your best and final advice for new instructional designers? Uh, before we we end our podcast i think <laughs> is that don't listen to what you think is right <laughs> and just listen to what uh, your uh, you know data is talking and what the learners are giving a feedback as because that can be a great data point uh, as to how you can design your future courses and also it kind of uh, tends to an experience sort of a thing uh, like you know just listening to that data and you know not listening to what you feel is right so i think that would give a better solution a logical solution rather than us thinking you know this is the right way to do it and then you know go about it so i think best don't listen to yourself and uh, go about listening to the data part i love that advice get rid of your assumptions look at the data that is wonderful advice. Thank you so much, Smurty, for coming and share us about um, educational data mining. Where can we find um, you and more resources um, if we want to go dig further in uh, EDM? (laughs) Yeah, uh, so I think uh, LinkedIn is the best way uh, to get in touch with me. Uh, and uh, also most of my blogs are also on uh, on EDM is there on LinkedIn. If not, uh, there's a blog on my website, like most of the uh, data part of it is there. I've written blogs on my website, so you could uh, go ahead and uh, uh, see that on my website as well. And what's your website? We'll put it in the show notes, but just say it. Uh, oh yeah, uh, it's a big site, so it's my portfolio, but uh, I can definitely leave a, a thing there uh, on the uh, notes part of it. Well, wonderful. We can't wait to read more from you, Smurti. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com. If you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer and online learning developer, join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. 
go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.